0: Uh, Words and phrases that are frequently repeated are the key to any particular meaning of a particular portion of Scripture. And one word that kept popping up in the Sermon on the Mount is this word, righteousness, or righteous. It appears six times in the space of these three chapters, And actually, it is implied a seventh time in the key verse of the whole sermon, which is Matthew 5, 20, where Jesus says, for I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it becomes very clear that the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is the righteousness that Jesus looks for. In his followers. Now, did you know that two of the Beatitudes have to do with righteousness? Uh, The eighth Beatitude is, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And the fourth Beatitude is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, this should really not surprise us. Uh, if the theme of the sermon is righteousness, we would expect to find it in the Beatitudes, and we find it not just once, but we find it twice. Now, today we're coming to the fourth Beatitude, and we want to learn how righteousness works in the life of a Christian. But before I ask you to look at the principles, Let's just get a basic understanding of the word itself. Now, Haddon Robinson helps us very much here. He says, if you take off the N-E-S-S, you have the word righteous. And if you take off the E-O-U-S, you have the word right. So righteousness, then, is this. It is the desire for right. That's what Jesus is meaning when he uses this word. So now as we come to the fourth beatitude, we really have a a very simple question. How does the desire for right work in a Christ follower's life? That's what we want to examine this morning as we turn today to beatitude number four. And I would invite you to take your Bibles. Turn with me again to Matthew chapter 5. And this time we are looking together at verse 6 and these very, very important words of our blessed Savior. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. How does the desire for right work in a Christ follower's life? Well, Let's notice that the first answer to this question is Christ's followers are, first of all, passionate to be right with God. Uh, Did you notice that Jesus did not say, blessed are the righteous? But he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, It wouldn't make sense for Jesus to say, blessed are the righteous, would it? Uh, In fact, Jesus could not have said that for a couple of very important reasons. Uh, First of all, none of us would qualify, would we? Uh, We are not righteous. In fact, we are unrighteous. I want you to uh, state this verse with me, uh, Romans 3.10, that just says it so clear. Let's just read it together. As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. And the Bible teaches us that our sins have separated us from a holy God. And there is no way that we sinful people can bridge this chasm between us and a perfect and sinless God. No matter how hard we might try, we are still not righteous enough. Now, sometimes we can't see this very clearly because we compare ourselves to other people. Uh, When I go to the prison, I look pretty good compared to the prisoners. I don't have on a prison uniform. And they do. So compared to other people, we can look pretty good, but... We are not uh, compared to other people. The standard is to be compared with God. And the Bible says that compared to God, we all fall very, very short. In fact, Romans 3:23 says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." Interesting, the word there, "fall short," was used of missing the target. and and going short from the target that you are aiming at. I love to use this illustration. Uh, Let's suppose that um, I were to challenge all of us here this morning to a snowball-throwing contest to see who could throw the snowball the farthest. By the way, do you think we have enough snow for that contest? So we're all going to go out in the parking lot and we're going to see who can throw a snowball the farthest. Now, there are many in this room that are stronger than me and surely could throw further than me. But I haven't told you the target yet. The target's Lake Superior, a mile and a half away. Now you may be able to throw a lot further than me, but not a single one of us is going to come close to the target of hitting Lake Superior. And the Bible says that's how it is with God and us. Our righteousness is not even close to His demands. Now there's a second reason why Jesus could not have said, blessed are the righteous. And that is because the Beatitudes are Jesus' attempt to show us this about ourselves. For example, when we realize that we are poor in spirit, we recognize we have no righteousness that is good enough for God. And when we begin to mourn for that, the second beatitude, we feel really, really bad that we are so far away from God. And then notice what happens. That's when we start to hunger and thirst for his righteousness that he alone can give. So we see beatitude number four is the natural outgrowth of beatitudes number one and beatitudes number two. By the way, this is where the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in. See, we're not righteous. But God's perfect son, the Lord Jesus, is. And God sent him to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our unrighteousness. And the Bible says he rose again to demonstrate that God has accepted his payment on behalf of our unrighteousness. And now what Jesus has done is he has created a bridge through the cross that can bring us to God. And here's what happens when we repent and trust in Jesus, we are brought into a right relationship with God. Look at these wonderful verses. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. First Peter 3.18 The question every one of us must ask is, is this critical question. Are you here on that side? Or are you here on this side? Have you admitted, beatitude number one, that you are poor in spirit without any righteousness of your own? Have you grieved in your heart, beatitude number two, and mourned over your lack of righteousness? Have you recognized that Jesus is your only hope, and therefore, hungering and thirsting for only what he can give, have you crossed the bridge? Have you repented of your sins, and called on Jesus by faith to save you? You know, when I really began to realize this, I could not be at peace until I had crossed the bridge. Hungering and thirsting are two of the strongest desires that we have. When you are thirsty, you have a passionate desire for a drink. I often watch football practice in late August. And I'll tell you, when they give those boys a break, they head to the water fountains because they are thirsting for a drink. If you are hungry, you're eager to have a good and satisfying meal. You are consumed with your hunger That's how you ought to feel if you have not crossed the bridge. You should have a consuming desire to be right with God. People this morning, this is no casual thing. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you cannot be at peace until you know Jesus has saved me. I've been accepted by God. I have eternal life. You cannot have satisfaction until you know I have crossed the bridge. I have crossed the bridge. Let me ask you again Are you here? Or are you here? Are you hungering and thirsting to be right with God? That's where righteousness begins. Now let's look at the second principle. Principle number two is that Christ's followers are passionate to do right for God. All right? So once we are made right with God through what Christ has done on the cross, now there is a passion, a hunger, and a thirst to do right for God. Now, I want you to look at these two statements on the screen. There are two words that are used for these two truths, two great Bible words. The first one is justification, and the second one is sanctification. Now, justification means this— We are declared not guilty. We are declared just in the sight of God because we have received what Jesus did for us on the cross. The Bible says when this wonderful transaction occurs and we cross over the bridge that we now have a new position with God. He sees us as perfectly justified even though we are not. The second word, sanctification, comes from a word that means to be holy, and it means living to do right in the sight of God. It is our practice before God. It is what we now start to do as a new creature in Christ. Now, here's the thing for us to notice. The Beatitudes, number four, covers and includes both justification and sanctification. And here's something else we need to see. They are always connected. They are never separated. One always leads to the other. In other words, once we become right with God, justification, we will want to do right for God, sanctification. In other words, the Bible says you cannot have one, without it leading to the other. I want you to notice a statement from a wonderful Bible teacher who has passed away from Grand Rapids. And notice what he said. His name was William Hendrickson. Though it is impossible for good works to justify anybody, it is just as impossible for a justified person to live without doing good works. That is said so effectively and so simply, and yet it is absolutely true. It's impossible for our our works to justify us before God. They will never enable us to cross the bridge. But once we have crossed that bridge, it is equally impossible for a justified person to live without doing good works. Now, let me just share with you um, uh, how this is taught, for example, in the Old Testament and taught in the New Testament. For example, if we could turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13, uh, we would read this, Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only. It's before He becomes the Lord your God, that's justification, and now you serve Him only, that's sanctification. Uh, verse 17 of Deuteronomy 6. Be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Verse 18. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. And then we could turn to uh, uh, Jesus' words in John 14, and we see the same teaching. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says... If you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, those are those who have been justified and brought into a right relationship with God. Now, says Jesus, you will obey what I command. Verse 21 of the same passage. Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. And then verse 23 of John 14. If anyone loves me, says Jesus. He will obey my teaching. Now, it's very interesting, as we begin to start to put all of this together, we begin to see how the satisfied life of a Christian works. By the way, doesn't this just look very appealing to you? I mean, how many people do you really know are satisfied in life? Stop the average person on the street and say to them, Are you living the satisfied life? Jesus said in one of his greatest statements, that if we would hunger and thirst for his righteousness, that we would be filled, satisfied. Are you living that satisfied life? And what we will discover is very few people know what the satisfied life is really all about. Now, let's just apply this to us this morning in light of what Jesus means, all right? Here is uh, the first part. Christians are satisfied by being forgiven and made right with God through salvation. Salvation. That's the first part of satisfaction. I love Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing like the peace that comes to a life that knows the war with God is over. Nothing like that peace. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been made a child of God Jesus is our Savior, and now He is no longer my judge, but He is my Father in heaven. Oh, how that brings satisfaction. Do you know that in our hymnals, there is a hymn that has uh, one word title, Satisfied? You ever looked at that hymn? One word title, Satisfied, it was written in 1875 by Clara Williams, Listen to the very first verse. All my life I had a longing for a drink from some clear spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Hallelujah, I have found Him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through His blood. I now am saved. What a great hymn. What a great hymn. Can you say that today? Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his blood. I now am saved. Oh, there is nothing like the fullness of knowing the war with God is over. Amen this morning. Amen. There's a second part of the satisfaction. Secondly, we are satisfied what pleases God while on earth. We are satisfied by doing what pleases pleases God while we are on earth now there's nothing so satisfying to the christian like knowing we are doing what our heavenly father wants us to do you know the bible says when we do that the holy spirit speaks peace to our conscience and we are satisfied I love what Paul says in Romans 9.1. Listen to his words. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Now that is the greatest feeling for a Christian. Having the Holy Spirit confirm our conscience. That is a satisfying life for the believer. You know what that means? That means we would rather do right and lose than do wrong and win. It means we would rather be honest and not get promoted than cheat to get ahead. It means we would rather have the right priorities and be poorer than have the wrong priorities and be richer. Because when the Holy Spirit confirms our conscience that we are pleasing our Father, it is a wonderfully satisfying experience. Peace in our conscience is more satisfying than anything we could gain by displeasing the one that we love. A friend of mine was telling me about witnessing to a college-age young woman. And there were several in this group that were witnessing to her. And as they witnessed to her, they they discovered that she was uh, living with her boyfriend unmarried. And it became very clear to her that in order for her to receive Jesus, or if she received Jesus, that that meant repenting, and it meant that her life would have to change. And it became very clear to her that that meant she could no longer fornicate with her boyfriend, but would eventually have to move out from his place. And one of the women that was in the group, a younger woman about her age, said, you know what, I have a spare bedroom in my apartment. If you decide that you want to accept the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, And therefore, know that that will mean you have to move out from your boyfriend's place. She said, you can come and stay in that extra room in my apartment until you find a more permanent place to live. Boy, what an offer, right? Well, she said, that's a pretty big decision. I'll have to think about that. And so they left. Later that night, here she came. All of her belongings in tow. Tears streaming down her face. And as she knocked on the door, and this woman who witnessed to her answered, she said, is that spare room still available? She said, I've decided to accept Jesus as my Savior. And I'm moving out from my boyfriend's place. Watching the tears stream down her eyes, the gal said to her, oh, what a painful decision this is for you, isn't it? She said, that's not why I'm crying. She said, well, why are you crying? She said, I'm crying because I'm so happy. I'm crying because I'm so happy. That's what Jesus meant when he said that we would be filled. Though we may lose, there is an inner satisfaction that comes from knowing that we are pleasing our Lord and Savior. And as a Christian, when we do displease him, Oh, how we have a longing, a hunger, a thirst to get back to the place where we are pleasing Him. You see how this satisfied life works? We are satisfied by being forgiven and made right with God through salvation, but then we are satisfied by doing what pleases God while on earth. There's a third application. Thirdly, Christians are satisfied by being fully like Jesus when he takes us to heaven. I want to be very clear about this this morning. There is a sense in which we will never find full satisfaction in this life. We will never be free from temptation, sin, and imperfection. Strive as we may, we will never reach perfection, and there is a sense in which, in this weary world, we will always be dissatisfied. By the way, if anyone ever promises you a rosy picture if you come to Jesus, you know that's not true. While coming to know Jesus is the greatest life anyone could ever experience, who would trade these first two areas of satisfaction for anything else? Following Jesus is not easy. There are additional problems that come into our life as we try to live in a sinful world and there is a sense that until we reach heaven we will never be fully satisfied the christian life is not a rose-petaled filled life and that's why we long for heaven Because that's when we know we will reach full perfection and total satisfaction. And if you are like me, the longer you live in a weary world, the more you long for heaven. It's just the way the Christian life works. Do you know this satisfied life uh, was summed up in one passage by the Apostle Paul? This is exactly the way that he sought to live, and let me share with you how he summarized this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Let me read what he said. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now do you see that it's all here? I'm saved. Christ has taken hold of me. I'm striving to please him. I press on towards the goal. Full satisfaction awaits heaven. God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul here is summarizing everything that is found in the fourth beatitude. This is the fourth beatitude. And this, for Christians, is what it means to live a satisfied life. I wonder this morning, would you join me? And let's read Paul's summary of this beatitude. And as we read it together, if we're saved, if we're seeking to live for Him, let's praise the Lord for that. And then when we get to that final, we're called to heaven. Oh God, thank you that that yet awaits me. Let's read it together this morning. Join me. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of God's people said, that's it. That's it. Let's bow together, shall we? and let's thank the Lord I have no doubt that there are people that will be in our church today who have not crossed over the bridge I have no doubt that there are people who will hear my voice who are yet separated from God Because the provision of Christ has not been received by them, and they have crossed over and been justified and found acceptance with God. And today, I just want to call on you. You know who you are, and you know what your need is. And I want to give you the chance today to cross the bridge would you say, Lord Jesus, I am poor in spirit. I have no righteousness of my own. I grieve over that, Lord. I, I feel badly that, that I have failed you in so many ways. But I believe that you sent your Son to die for me, and he rose again that I might have eternal life. And would you say, Lord Jesus, I repent I turn from my own way and I turn to you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. And be my Lord. Make me a child of God. Give me the gift of eternal life. Cause me to be born again into your family. And Lord Jesus, this day, having crossed from death into life, I now hunger and thirst to please you and to live for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that when I fail you, your blood covers my sins and I still am forgiven. But I want to get back to the place as quick as I can where I am pleasing you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. For those of us who have crossed over today, perhaps there is some disappointment and dissatisfaction in your Christian life. Perhaps you are anticipating things that you want to have now that you will have no guarantee of until you get into heaven. Many, many people are not following Jesus today because they believe the wrong promise. They believe that they are going to receive things now that Jesus says they will not get till heaven. And it brings a sense of dissatisfaction for what Jesus has given to us. And if that's you today, would you say, Lord, you have given me a foretaste of glory divine? I've experienced new life, forgiveness, a relationship with you, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, his guidance and leadership. As wonderful as all of that is, it is a foretaste of what I am going to receive someday, and I know that you call me to follow you, no matter what hardships may come, with my hope focused on future glory. Listen, if that's you today and, and you need to come back to what the real Christian life is, tell the Lord today. That's what you're doing. Oh God, thank you again so much for what we have in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this blessed life that is ours to enjoy, to live, The challenges of this life, we have a Savior to walk with us through the losses and the pains, and we have a great anticipation that someday, as the Bible says, even our very bodies will be redeemed, and we'll be brought into fullness and perfection with our Lord, and then and only then will full satisfaction be ours. Father, I pray today for someone who has not passed over from death unto life. Maybe they think they have. Maybe they are unsure. I pray today that that would take place in their life. And then I pray, Lord, for believers who have become somewhat lackadaisical in their Christian life. Maybe discouragements have gotten them down. And I ask, O Lord, that once again they would look and see Jesus. What He is. What He has done for them. What He plans for them. And that with renewed faith and trust, they would follow him, no matter what the present may currently be. How we love you, Lord, today. And we affirm together with Jesus, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. For it's in his name that we pray, amen. You know, there are certain hymns that doesn't take much to find appropriate one. And this final hymn is, you just, you just say to yourself, this is one. You've got to sing this hymn as you close this particular beatitude. And so let's stand together, shall we? And let's sing together, fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. As we get to that last chorus, our pastors and wives and elders and wives will be dismissed to greet you. Uh, Let's sing this, shall we, with just great desire to our blessed Savior as he speaks to us today. Let's sing.